The opinions voiced on this paid program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. International and emerging market investing involves special risk, such as currency fluctuation and political instability, and may not be suitable for all investors. Precious metal investing involves greater fluctuation and potential for losses. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, Consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor before making any financial investments. Financial planning offered through Summit Planning Group, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. You're listening to the Summit Planning Financial Hour on News Radio 570 WSYR, now on 1069 FM. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Summit Planning Financial. I'm Rick Urchill here. Brian Leonard, your host this morning. And uh, what looks like it's going to be a little wet here pretty soon. So if you got to do a few things outside, you might want to do it. It looks like, yeah, maybe 10 or 15 minutes here. Uh, anyways, you can join us here live as you can each and every Saturday morning with uh, any comments, questions, concerns, answer them on your mind by calling us at 315-421-9797. 421-9797. Well, we had a uh, super amount of volatility this week. Obviously, uh, uh, it's a tail end of the week. We had, uh, as we discussed last week, uh, talks about trade and some resolutions, possibly. And, of course, the market liked that. And uh, there was tweets all week, <clears throat> actually the tail end of the week, to push the market up uh, the last three days of the week, which was pretty much all of it, right? That's right. And we, we had tweets early in the week, too. We had our Cudlow, Larry Cudlow, come out, the president's chief financial advisor, giving lots of hope. And we had 12 different Federal Reserve speeches throughout the whole week and Federal Reserve minutes and lots mm-hmm. of trade talk. Yeah. And, uh, of course, by the end, all the dust had settled. The Dow was up about 0.9%, S&P up 06 Pretty much took back what it was down last week. Uh, NASDAQ was up about 0.9 as well, Russell 0.73, because uh, the market had been down for three weeks. <coughs> Excuse me, over concern about all this stuff. It looked like things weren't going well, and all of a sudden, a clear blue sky, they had some resolution. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, coming from the president himself talking about the agricultural, you know, he said it was 40 to $50 billion concessions by the Chinese mean they would buy that much stuff from us. Soybeans change the world. Yep, and that uh, you know just made all the uh, industrials involved in agriculture just take off. Your Caterpillars, your John Deere's, and um, and of course Apple as well, uh, because now they don't have to worry so much about uh, not being able to sell their product uh, from China being made there. And, uh, and of course, they have the Chinese keep buying their cell phones, right? Correct. So, uh, you know, those are the big leaders. There's a fundamental reason why the market was higher. Remember, it was down pretty heavy on Monday and Tuesday. And then, of course, you know, tweet land and uh, tidbits from different advisors made the market go up the next three days. Uh, you know, during the week, we had all kinds of uh, other headlines. We had uh, inflation. Inflation came out basically a big nothing, zero CPI. Uh, but it did calculate for everybody the Social Security increase uh, for for this coming year, 2020. 
and it's going to be 1.6%. That's how much an increase you're going to get. I think it's like $25 a month or something like that. Uh, but, of course, your Medicare Part B goes up like 9 bucks a month, I think. So you get a little bit out of it, I guess. Uh, now, if you, if you don't have a $1,480 average Social Security check and your check is smaller, well, then, of course, the Medicare Part B and, and the increase would probably be about the same. So <clears throat> not so good uh, of an increase, but still it's something, right? And it's interesting, Rick. We had medical care costs as part of the CPI report. Uh, those are now up 4.4% year over year. So, you know. Yeah, we're, they were all happy about that. Yeah. Well, she was very happy. Very. About <laughs> they were. They were going, oh, wow, this is great, you know. So, you know, so inflation on the healthcare side, of course, is good for healthcare companies, uh, but not good for the economy. Correct. And, uh, of course, it's always twisted around. You never get the truth out of uh, the media on that. You know, on the other side, we did have uh, shelter prices went up, and, uh, you know, home prices are back on the move again towards the upside. They are. They are. And yeah. at the same time, rents. Rents are up 0.4%. That is month over month, I believe. So, Yeah. Yeah. So uh, zero, but I think year over year was what, Brian? It was uh, 1.7 year over year. Yeah. <clears throat> and then on the core, now it's interesting, right? The Fed's number, our Federal you Reserve. Take out food and energy. Yeah, correct. It was like 2 point something. 2.4. 2.4. And uh, on the other side, on the producer price uh, index, which is, you know, on the wholesale side, uh, that actually fell 0.3%, a big negative. And uh, so we basically have inflation running pretty cool. Yes, yes. And, of course, they say now that the Fed is going to potentially cut rates at the end of October. It gives them a little more room to do that because uh, there's no big inflation concerns. And uh, the president was, you know, on board by attacking the, the Federal Reserve again, saying, ah, there's no inflation. Of course, 2.4 year over year is not no inflation. Uh but uh, saying that the Fed should cut rates to zero now uh, quickly. And um, so anyways, uh, what was an okay week for the markets? Uh, obviously, all that was pretty much Friday. If Friday didn't occur, then the markets would have been negative for the week. Uh, but it was uh, negative for bonds uh, for reasons that you can't pinpoint. Uh, I guess the fact that everything's going to be hunky-dory now. Uh, I mean, they were brilliant. The administration was brilliant in how they uh, 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 constructed the uh, tariff resolution, maybe, okay? Correct. Meaning they're going to do it in three phases. <laughs> the first phase is going to be uh, enacted in uh, late no mid-November when uh, our president meets with President Z. And then, of course, there's going to be another uh, element of it three or four months later, and then a third one three or four months later after that. Isn't that brilliant? Because here if you're thinking, well, you know, this isn't going to work out. It never has. They keep getting this all this hopium, and, and then it all falls apart. But no, we've got to actually wait for the second phase and the third phase and the so that the market can't really say, well, I'm going to get out because, well, no, maybe you don't want to get out because – the second phase will boost the market even more. The third phase will boost it even more. And that's exactly what they did. It's exactly why they both agreed to that, because neither China nor the United States can handle a down market at this point in time. 
that would have major consequences for consumption, major consequences for all the debt that China has and we have. And so they're trying desperately to jawbone this thing, which when we finish talking this morning, you'll see that there's, there's irreconcilable differences between the United States and China. And so whatever they come up with, whether it's agricultural products or a few more ditties, uh, there is a huge gap between ever agreeing to the fundamentals. So uh, anyway, so interest rates uh, went way up this week. Uh, uh, interest rates last week on the uh, two-year note, <clears throat> 1.41. And then this week, 1.6. So that's almost 20 basis points in a week on short-term interest rates. A little spooky. And the 10-year rate was uh, 1.53, went to 1.74%. Again, that's 0.21% higher in one week. Um, and people attribute that to the fact that people were happy that the trade thing was was semi-resolved and um, therefore uh, we could afford to uh, uh, sell bonds and buy stock. And that's what they did. That's exactly what they did. Uh, gold didn't like it because now it looks like, oh, there's no big issues anymore, so we don't have to worry about any collapse in anything. Uh, so gold was down 1.3% for the week. Silver was down slightly. Uh, oil, of course, had to go up. Remember we said the market can't go up unless interest rates go higher and oil goes higher. And we had both of those elements this week. Uh, so the banks did well, very well, up 4 or 5%, 3 or 4 days. And, of course, oil went up. And it was convenient, too. They came up with, uh, what was it, Wednesday morning that a Iranian tanker was attacked uh, by Saudis, was it? Or? Uh, unnamed source, but uh, assumed un- to be the Saudis. Unnamed source. <clears throat> and that was it. It was that one blurb and then no discussion whatsoever about it. Enough, though, to push oil up, which it had to go up. It couldn't have had this market rally like it did. if oil didn't go. And oil went up 3.5% for the week. At fifty four seventy nine a barrel, and of course that pushed gasoline up four point four percent for the week. So now we're at about two forty nine on the wholesale level. We were, you know, around two forty. So, uh, so it all fell into place uh, very nicely. Uh, there's no problems anymore. Everything's going to be resolved. Everybody's going to play, you know, like like and 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 you know, envelop each other in an aura of cooperation. And all the issues are pretty much gone. Stock market can go straight up now. And, uh, and of course, uh, we know that's not the case, but that's the way it feels in the media. Uh, now you look at the S&P, too. And, you know, if you go back five and a half months, go back to uh, end of April, how much is the S&P up, the stock market up? Virtually nothing, 0.8%. So we had made no progress at all for five and a half months. And you can see every time it started to go down, there'd be some tweet or some advisor come out and say they're making progress with China and the market would go from down to straight up. And then, of course, there'd be no progress and it would go down. And they come up and say there's progress and go straight up and come down. And, of course, this weekend went up. And uh, if you look at the first four months of this year, that's where all the, the money was made. market's up 17% uh, for the first four months, but for the last five and a half months, not so much. And of course, um, <clears throat> if you uh, throw in some other indexes in the last uh, four months, like I said, the market's pretty much flat in the last five and a half months, market's flat. Netflix is down 23%. Emerging markets are down five. Small shares, small stocks down 4.4. Facebook's down five. 
Amazon's down 10. So <clears throat> all the gains came in the first four months of the year. So that tells you something. The market's getting a little bogged down here. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, we've got earnings season coming up in earnest at the uh, tail end of this week. Is it or middle week? Or? Yeah, we're going to start on the 15th. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, basically, we've got Citigroup, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, just the big heavy hitters. going to be very entertaining to watch how they move their numbers back and forth. But, you yeah. know, Rick, over the last five and a half months with the market flat, two of the big winners have been Treasury bonds and gold. Yeah. If you go back for the first uh, <clears throat> like we said, the first four months, the market's up 17. Uh, gold was absolutely zero. Uh, bonds made a small gain, about 2%. And uh, treasuries, short-term treasuries, maybe 1%. That was the uh, first four months. And the second five and a half months, you got treasuries up 15%, gold up 15%, short-term treasuries up 2 Of course, the market flat. So they changed their mind, right? Correct. So uh, the... The uh, investments that give you a little less risk in the long run, uh, give you a little balance to your portfolio, uh, did nothing when the market was going straight up, and, of course, rewarded you uh, in the second half of the year so far um, uh, with you know that part of your portfolio being diversified into those elements. And so now we'll see where we're going to go here. Uh, there's a lot that happened this week. Like I said, the banks – uh, Federal Reserve still doing this big repo operation, which is basically quantitative easing. Uh, they say it's not because they're just buying Treasury bills. Uh, but somebody's in trouble out there. There's a big bank or big banks that are having big-time difficulty right now, and it's manifesting itself through the money market system with offshore money. Um, there's absolutely trillions of dollars uh, coming out of the Cayman Islands, Luxembourg, uh, and uh, somebody is getting rattled out there underneath the system. Correct. And, Rick, I think it's incredible that <clears throat> in our a massive uh, journalistic uh, media-driven empire here, not a single person has been able to dig in there and find out who that entity was because when you find out, you lose confidence. Yeah, and you'll, they're never going to tell us <clears throat> what's going on underneath the surface here because they don't want any panic. And uh, so I hate to tell you, folks, but there is a whole other program going on that you're not watching. If you're watching the stock market just go up and, and uh, you know, applauding everything and thinking things are fine and ignoring the fundamental big issues, which is this over-leveraged, over-indebted system uh, that's been pumped with so much liquidity, chasing so many bad investments worldwide. If you don't think that there's issues there, you're wrong. There's a lot of issues there. And they just haven't come up. Now, they're starting to creep forward with this, the, our Federal Reserve getting involved in trying to keep the system liquid. Think about it. They're pumping in, they're going to pump in $60 billion a month of liquidity. When stock market's almost an all-time high, 3.5% unemployment, and they're cutting interest rates. Why would you ever cut interest rates if the trade thing is supposed to be resolved here? Right. And they said that was their biggest right. concern. Why would some- you cut interest rates? Well, because there's something else afoot that you aren't aware of. Now, I can't pinpoint it, Brian, and I can't pinpoint it. But we know it's with some other, either a non-bank entity out of the Cayman Islands, 
it's or it's a big European bank, but there's a problem in Never Never Land here. Yeah. And uh, we'll find out more about it in weeks to come. But you, you've got to be pretty skeptical of this rally right now. Anyways, folks, we'll be right back. A lot more to talk about. Okay, folks, we're back. Summit Planning Financial. I'm Rickard Shelley, Brian Leonard. Still time to join us here live with your questions. 421-9797. Okay, so uh, we're trying to make some headway here in the trade talks. And uh, this came out this week. Uh, Chinese uh, blacklisted companies. The U.S. decided to add eight Chinese companies to its trade blacklist, which strikes directly at China's ambitions and in artificial intelligence, threatening its company's access to crucial components and relationships with U.S. firms. Some of the companies affected are among <clears throat> China's most advanced and core areas of artificial intelligence, including technology involved in recognizing sounds and faces, autonomous driving, and surveillance. That's got to hurt a little bit in China because that's what they're all about. Remember, this is a massive dictatorship that is going to completely control their entire population so that they have absolutely no access to any real rights if if the Communist Party decides that that should be that way. So they are cracking down on individual rights in China, preparing to do that in a big way if there's any unrest. And that's why they try to pressure Hong Kong, uh, the Chinese government, to make a law in Hong Kong they can't wear any masks because they're doing all this facial recognition stuff in China with you know, millions of cameras everywhere monitoring everything uh, to make sure that if there's any unrest in China, they can put their thumb on it and put it out very, very quickly. And they're very nervous right now in China. Very. Why are they so nervous? Well, because they've grown their country's economy on a Ponzi scheme of debt on debt on debt on debt on debt, with banks basically getting most of the bad debt and putting it off into another shell company. It's much worse than ever was here in 2008. And so they're really worried that if something happens, the economy does slow down, uh, there's some bank implosion, uh, and then people get upset because home prices start to drop and things like that, well, they can put that out immediately. And, you know, it's not much different than what started out in Germany in the mid-30s with the Nazi party. It's not much different than that. And it's almost even, exactly what it is in North Korea. Correct. And you can even go into the Soviet Union, which, you know. That was uh, my next one. Yeah, uh, China absolutely does not want that kind of thing to happen. So they have to, well, they, they have to use financial repression. <clears throat> which means that you have to make debt so critically available to everybody, make, make the consumer, the person, feel good. Exactly. So there is no revolt. Right. And just like you mentioned, Rick, uh, housing has been such a critical piece uh, of their economy. You can never have that home price go down. You can never have the stock market go down. You, you can't. can never have an asset you lose can't. value. They'll, they'll rebel. They'll throw them out. And so they're doing all this stuff, uh, fully visible to us, but nobody cares. Nobody cares. 
Well, some people care. You know, we've been talking about it for a while. A lot of people have been talking about it for years, and they get totally ignored because of why? Corporate interest. And we're going to expand on that here in the show. Uh, also, uh, visa restrictions. The United States has imposed visa restrictions on Chinese government and Communist Party officials it believes responsible for the detention and abuse of Muslim minorities in Xinjiang province, the U.S. State, Par- US State Department said. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo cited the decision of the Commerce Department Monday to add 28 Chinese public security bureaus and companies, including video surveillance company Hikvision, to U.S. trade blacklist over Beijing's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims and other predominantly Muslim ethnic minorities. The visa restrictions complement the Commerce Department's actions, he said. Now, of course, they put in well over a million of Muslims uh, because they think they can't control the Muslims uh, because they're more independent people. <laughs> they're in the northern part of China. They're, they're rugged. They're tough. Uh, they're good people. And they figured, well, they're not going to be as obedient as the other areas in China. So they put over a million in re-education camps. They round them up at night for no reason whatsoever, just because they're Muslim, and they throw them in these camps. And so, you know, we, we finally are doing something by restricting those people involved from coming over here. And, uh, and so that's a biggie, you know. Uh, at least we're doing something. Um, and, of course, uh, let's see here. China, on the other hand, because the president, uh, part of his uh, quest for a trade deal, is to have our companies be able to go over there and not have to be forced to be a partner with a Chinese state-run organization. You know, China comes over here and does whatever they want to do with companies, IPOs, businesses. You know, they buy them the biggest pork producer in the country. Correct, correct. Uh, So, um, but he wants, uh, and it should be that way, that we can do that. But anyways, China, it says this week, China is planning tighter visa restrictions for U.S. nationals with ties to anti-China groups. Following similar U.S. restrictions on Chinese nationals, which I just talked about, as relations between the countries sour. China's Ministry of Public Security has for months been working on rules to limit the ability of anyone employed or sponsored by the U.S. intelligence services, CIA, and human rights groups, people who care about people, to travel to China. The proposed changes follow the introduction by the United States of tighter rules for visas for Chinese scholars in May. Now, why do we have tighter visa rules for Chinese scholars? Because they come over here from China, these students, they go to work, they don't go to work, they go to school in Stanford, but they work at all of our think tanks, all the ones that have uh, international security, uh, you know, issues that they're working on for our own military. And then they get that knowledge and then go back to China and they use it. They steal it. So we're finally cracking down on that. But anyways, more importantly, they are saying they're going to do the same thing. But more importantly, they don't want any spies. Our spies over there. And that's why, how can they allow a company to exist in China uh, fully independent of the Chinese government, as long as they you know, don't break the rules and break the laws, because we could put in all CIA spies in there for all they know. Right. They're not going to let that happen. So this, 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 this separation between our two forms of government is so huge, and it's getting wider and wider. Uh, 
to some degree. And when, when we come back from the break, we'll talk about the National Basketball Association issue and how it there is a tremendous overlap of commonality between the two countries that is sick. Anyways, we'll be right back. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need Okay, folks. We're back, and uh, I guess I'm going to go to John. He's been pretty patient here. Good morning, John. Uh, hi, good morning, guys. Um, I have a question kind of ties into the whole international discussion and that. Um, it's about the uh, International Monetary Fund, and um, I'm going to use some developments in a country called Ecuador down in South America over the last week uh, as an example. Uh, I'm just trying to get your guys' opinion as to you know, what's really going on here. But um, so there's been a lot of unrest over the last week down there that were related to the government ended some fuel subsidies, and so the price of fuel rised big time. And they said that that was because uh, Ecuador has agreed uh, they're trying to get a 4.2 billion dollar loan from the International Monetary Fund, and one of the conditions of that loan was that the IMF wanted Ecuador to reduce their country's debt. And so that's one of the ways that they're going to be doing that. And there's been a lot of unrest down there. And so mm-hmm. I guess I'm kind of curious as to, like, is that typical? Do you guys think that's a good approach? Because it sounds like all of our, you know, the Western governments and other large economies in the world have a lot of debt right now. Mm-hmm. So I guess what is the problem with a smaller country having a lot of debt? Yeah. Well, I just want to ask you guys thoughts on that. Sure. Uh, I'm not tuned into exactly what the problem is in per- Peru right now. Or Ecuador? Did you say Ecuador? Ecuador, right? Yeah. Ecuador, yeah. 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 Um, but I do know how the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, operates, and, and, you know, it's funded primarily by the United States. And Christine Lagrande. Lagarde. Lagarde. Yep. Lagarde is the uh, head person there. Now, she's going to take over Mario Draghi's job, who's the head of the European uh, Central Bank, uh, in uh, at the end of October. And... Uh, and, of course, the way they operate, um, Argentina recently got 40-some-odd billion-dollar right. uh, uh, loan as well. Uh, you know, every country uh, has to stay within its economic boundaries as far as debt versus growth and, uh, and uh, the ability to make future payments on the existing debt that they have. Um, and, you know, somebody gets elected and says, you know, I'm going to give you free this. I'm going to give you free that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the socialist uh, king or queen of this particular country. And I'm not going to be like the last one who created austerity and was trying to, you know, not do all these socialist programs, and you suffered. So I'm going to free you. And so this new person gets elected. They start spending all this money. And, of course, they need to borrow a lot of money. And uh, so they borrow a lot of money. And before you know it, for whatever reason, international investors pull away from that particular country's debt because they think it's too risky because they've got too much debt and not enough growth. And that ends up having the uh, economy crash. Uh, The currency crashes. And then, you know, since we don't let countries just die in the vine, there's this organization called the IMF that comes up 
and says, listen, uh, we'll give you your $4.1 billion. We'll give you your $45, 50 whatever, billion dollars. But you can't just, you know, we're going to give you this loan. You just can't go spend that on all these social programs because you can't afford those social Correct. programs. Correct. So it doesn't go back into their economy. They the, can't build bridges with that loan. They can't, they can't give it not, to the people. Nothing. Not, but it's, it's all contingent on them cutting down on their existing debt, spending less money, it means austerity, and getting their house in order, their financial house in order. And, uh, and if they don't do it, if they don't take the loan under those conditions, uh, they can just wilt and suffer for decades. That's right, and that's always the threat, Rick. They blacklist that nation and say you'll never get a loan ever again from that's anybody right. unless right. you take this. So, and, and, and the other reason, Brian, too, the reason they give the money is because the previous money that was given to them by the investment community is usually Citibank, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan Chase. And so what we're doing is we're bailing them out because of their bad investment decisions with the loan from the IMF. So that has to be paid back first quite often, not all the time. So, well, I guess what, I guess so what that's I how it works. And, and in, and in, and in uh, Ecuador right now, uh, I know there's riots in the streets, right? Uh, I, yeah. I, I don't know the specifics there, but it always ends up the same way. You have to conform, which makes sense in a way. Uh, you, you can't just... Get free money to bail yourself into out of a hole, and uh, so you probably know more about it than we do, John. As far as the the basics behind it, yeah. But but I guess what I don't understand is it. I mean, it sounds like you know, <clears throat> like us for example, we've got massive government. Debt. Okay, okay, but there's, here's the big difference, John. I should have said this before. I'm sorry. Uh, we're the world's reserve currency, and so what ends up happening, say in Argentina or in Russia years ago, or Taiwan, or Mexico, uh, Thailand, I mean, Mexico, Brazil, is they aren't the world's reserve currencies. So when they get in trouble, their, their, their currency crashes. In other words, and inflation skyrockets. Anything that they uh, have to import suddenly is 200% more or 300% more, and the economy just takes its, its toll. Uh, when you're the world's reserve currency, you know, you can have all the debt you want, as long as people are willing to buy it, because they trade in your currency. We don't trade in the Argentinian peso. We don't trade in the uh, whatever it is in Ecuador. The, probably a peso. Yeah, you know, the dollar. Yeah. The dollar. Yeah, no, we don't so trade in that currency. So they, their particular situation, they don't have that out that we have here in the United States. So we can... Right. Pile on tot. It's same similar in Japan. I mean, Japan government buys their own government debt, so they don't have to worry about the rest of the world buying their debt. Uh, you know, so uh, when you're an individual country having your own currency, you're 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 very vulnerable if your house uh, gets lopsided on debt to uh, to growth. I see. So it's it's due to the size of the economy, basically. It, it's the currency. Is is is. You know, nobody wants a currency that suddenly plunges 40% or 50% or 60%. The dollar is not going to plunge 40, 50, 60 because everybody uses it. You know, yeah. you know, and of course the dollar is in an index, uh, you know, with the pound, with the euro, and with the yen primarily. It's in a lot of other ones. 
and that means if our currency goes down 40% because we have debt problems, well, that means they don't have debt problems and everybody wants their, their, their currency, but they all have debt problems. So, you know, it's, it's sort of where we're at right now. Okay, John? Okay, thanks, guys. Take, take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that for an entire show, yeah. you know. Uh, we got to take a quick break because I want to get back to this China thing and, and how it's linked to a lot of other things in our society right now. Be right back. Okay, folks. Home stretch running out of time here. Uh, I do want to get to the balance of this uh, discussion on China. But uh, this came out, too, and i got to say this. Uh, General Electric this week came out and said they were going to uh, uh, freeze their pension. Uh, it says General Electric's uh, gaping pension deficit certainly stands out for its size. It's huge. They've underfunded their pension for years. But the company is hardly the only one at risk of potentially shortchanging some of its employees come retirement. All across corporate America, underfunded pensions have come the norm. Even now, a decade after the financial crisis, the largest corporate U.S. pension plans face a shortfall of $269 billion, right about where it was 10 years ago. Well, wait a minute. Corporate pensions invest in stocks and bonds, so how can it be the same as it was in 2009? Does make any sense? Mm-mm. Well, it says, years of low interest rates have largely offset gains in the stock market. Companies haven't helped matters by lavishing money on shareholder rewards and clinging to assumptions about returns that proved to be too rosy. And that's the last sentence I want to just spend one minute on here. What are they talking about? Helping managers by lavishing money on shareholder rewards. Corporate stock buybacks. Gee, spent how much on corporate stock back? Wasn't it forty billion or something? Billions. Billions. Forty billion dollars buying back their stock. And most of it was done when the stock was eighteen to uh right. twenty two dollars a share. And now it's uh what, eight dollars and something a share? Correct. Billions. They could have added their pension fund. And they wouldn't have been underfunded at all. They wouldn't have had to freeze pensions. And this goes on throughout corporate America because we've turned a blind eye here to corporate responsibility. It, it, it's out of control at this point in time. And, of course, they also borrow the money. To pay their dividends. To pay the dividends. And that was a big dividend that GE kept investors on the hook Decade after decade, it was five percent at one point, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. now it's literally zero. Right, because right. there is no money left. But the bottom line, and also they assume these pension plans are going to earn seven percent. Stock market's only at five point five in the last twenty years. And now the interest rates are low. If you combine the next twenty years in stock returns with bond returns, you're going to be lower than we were in the last twenty years, and that's a fact. I think, I guess. You know, the other, and the other thing with General Electric is uh, they're one of the biggest, formerly one of the biggest AAA corporate bond companies right. in the United States. And uh, if interest rates ever do go up, and uh, they're already teetering on the edge of being downgraded, right? Uh, it'll be a massive. Uh, and they're, they're, I'm sure a lot of their short-term debt is in the money markets, and that could be another issue, too, we talked about earlier right? Uh, with the Federal Reserve bailing them all out right now. Uh, so in China, it's been... Well-known fact, you can't say the three T's. 
If you're a corporate America today and you want to have business over there, none of your employees, none of your spokespeople, nobody in the corporate offices can say Tibet, Taiwan, or Tiananmen Square. Now, we've added another letter. But can you think it? Yes, you can think it, but you can't say it. You can't say Hong Kong either anymore. You can't say that you feel support for the lack of freedom that the people in Hong Kong uh, are frightened of going forward uh, with more Chinese control over their society. And so they've been riding in the streets repeatedly uh, because uh, they don't want to have happened to them what is happening to the Chinese people right now, all the suppression that's going on in mainland China. And, of course, we had this fella from the NBA come up and, and mention that uh, he felt support for the people in China, Daryl uh, Morley. He's the general manager of Houston Rockets. And, of course, immediately everybody went berserko in the Chinese Communist Party. You can't say, if you have to do business when the NBA, the National Basketball Association, has a tremendous amount of business in China, those basketballs big in China, uh, they immediately crack down, canceled games, cancel everything. And most of it is coming from the Communist Chinese Party, Communist Party and a company called Tencent Holdings. Tencent Holdings is based in China, but it started here. Here, it got its capital here in the United States. And, you know, people couldn't buy enough of it. An IPO, I don't know what it came out at, 4 or $5. Now it's $45 a share. It trades here every day. This company, with the Communist Chinese Party, is behind you. If you have any relationship in business with China, you cannot say what you think. I'm not talking about something horrible. I'm not talking about profanity or anything. That's you can call the U.S. president a traitor anytime you want, but you can't say, I think the people in Hong Kong have a point. Maybe they need more freedom. <gasps> oh, my God. Money comes getting sucking sound out of the NBA pockets. And immediately they crack down and say, we didn't mean that. The tweet was removed, by the way, immediately. And, uh, you know, these mediocre apologies for freedom of the speech. This is happening in a massive way right now. And, and China is getting worse and worse. We'll talk more about it next week, folks. But it's disgusting the fact that money is ruling everything to the umpteenth degree right now. And there's no sense of fairness, democracy, freedom. We could care less about that in the media today and corporate media uh, because it's all about the almighty dollar. We'll be back next week, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.
voiced on this paid program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. International and emerging market investing involves special risk, such as currency fluctuation and political instability, and may not be suitable for all investors. Precious metal investing involves greater fluctuation and potential for losses. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor before making any financial investments. Financial planning offered through Summit Planning Group, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC.